Please note that the contents of Model Mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Model Mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about model mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Today on the podcast, I have with me Elizabeth Peyton Jones. Elizabeth is a health and lifestyle author, fashion industry campaigner, master herbalist, practitioner, naturopath, advisor, and the founder and CEO of Models Trust an independent organization providing reports for brands and agencies to make the talent's workplace safer. Elizabeth through Models Trust champions safety, sustainability, diversity, equality, and inclusion for all fashion industry talent through anonymous feedback surveys. Welcome to Model Mentality. Today, I am excited to have the CEO of Models Trust, and she's a CEO extraordinaire because she's also a naturopath and an herbalist and has had many hats, Elizabeth Peyton Jones. Elizabeth, I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much. Yes, and I love that you had reached out to us initially because some of the work we're doing is synergistic, obviously, in this space. So I'm very appreciative of that. And, you know, I'd love to start a little bit about you telling us what is Models Trust and how you ended up in this line of work? Well, it's it's funny because Models Trust has sort of morphed because it started about seven years ago because I was a master herbalist naturopath. I'd written three books and um, food and diet was my thing. And the British Fashion Council came to me and said, um, we need a diet for models. And I thought, well, I don't I don't know that space at all. And and naturopaths don't work like that. I mean, they need to know the problem first. You know, you can't just sort of like, <laughs> what's the kind of diet I need to build? I mean, I've written three books. How what more information do I need? I spent a year researching the industry, actually, and built a sort of 40-page report and went back to the British Fashion Council and said, diet is not your problem. Mm. Um and I think that it was it was fairly overwhelming to read the things that I had written. And I think that, you know, back then, you know, seven years ago, um, <clears throat> felt like too much hard work for them. So I thought, well, you know, these are 14 year old kids and actually that's really not good enough. So I started Models Trust and my idea was really just to get awareness out there and um, make 
it's safer through standards. And look, I'd been in the food industry, so I thought, well, how difficult can it be? I mean, <laughs> you know, food, as you know, is is pretty um, emotive. Yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm just curious though. Going back to your initial findings, I mean, to spend a year on this, right? You were able to really get at the complexity of why it's not food. Can you just, and I know there's a report, but could you just summarize for us what were some of your key findings? Seven years ago, what we found was is that everybody knows about the sort of the, the sexual abuse and um, um, micro aggression that goes on and the kind of grooming. Um, I think they were l- less aware of maybe the trafficking and human trafficking that um, I'd picked up. And also the use of models as semi-prostitutes in um, model agencies who were operating as modeling agencies, but actually weren't. They were, because model. what I didn't realize was that modeling agencies were in fact, um, there's no license over them. So anyone can set up a modeling agency anywhere in the world. And because of social media, um, it had kind of like exploded. So people were were able very easily to reach out to young people online and pretend that they were legitimate. And of course they weren't. And because of social media and because of the mental framework of young people, they want followers, they want recognition. They And it's seen as extremely glamorous modeling. But in fact, it's very, very dangerous because it's predatorial. And there was nothing to show who the good guys were out there. And that really worried me because, um, I mean, two reasons, which is is a reason why you're out there is the mental health issues. I found that, you know, one in four was self-harming um, because of um, body image issues. A lot of it was driven by uh, social media and media in general. And, um, you know, the, 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 the second thing that... that um, was was really horrifying was was that these young people um were very unaware of of what was um what was out there there was nothing to stop them from from being reached just tell us a little bit about you know how models trust evolved and what what the mission is well models trust evolved because we i thought that we needed standards so i thought right that's easy enough standards are easy to implement and anybody can do it everywhere so we could have standards for modeling agencies we could have some sort of certification for them so that we knew who were the good guys. And then the brands could have, um, you know, could work with this because they would only take from modeling agencies that were certified um, and everyone could have their standards. But in fact, what we were seeing was, in fact, you know, standards were around, but they weren't being upheld. So after our four years of, you know, Burberry, Caring, you know, LVMH, um, most most brands having some kind of standard for shoots and shows. In fact, we found that nothing had changed. I mean, there was still bullying. There was still no proper stylist or makeup artist for black models. Um, you know, if a, if a disabled model arrived, you know, there'd be no lift, as an example. Um, so that diversity wheel that was going around wasn't catering for the diversity that they're actually bringing into the studio, which was a big problem. But then, you know, you also had, you know, models who were being made to lose weight. Um, as soon as they went from 16 to 18, they were told that they were developing. And that is um, extremely dangerous for 
anyone at that age, man, you know, men or women. And um, a lot of this was feeding into the mental ill health and body dysmorphia, as well as eating disorder issues that we're having in society. That was the other thing that we were sort of, you know, we were trying to resolve with the standards. But the fact that they weren't getting better really, really, really bothered me. So during lockdown, I got somebody from McKinsey, who's this great reporting uh, research guy. And we did a piece of research. And in fact, unbelievably, we found that 57% of the abuse was financial, which totally knocked my socks off because I thought, well, I mean, I was pretty sure it was going to be a Me Too movement and other sorts of problems. But you know what? I thought to myself, okay, 57% financial. That means this is this is business. This this is not predatory, although it leads to being predatory. This is about people really taking advantage of people in a monetary sense, in a business sense. And it reframed the way I, I looked at models. And I suddenly thought to myself, you know what? Models are not young kids that need saving. Models are people that need a good working environment. They need to be treated like any other person at their place of work. And it was a wake up call. Exactly. And I've, you know, I've come to understand that so many models are independent contractors, freelancers, right? Not employer, employees, sorry, of an, of an organization, which yeah. creates a huge challenge in terms of providing protection. Yes, absolutely. So there are no labor rights. Yeah. So they fall through all the cracks. In fact, I'm talking to the British government um, tomorrow about this very topic because um, there is a there is a labour issue and there, there's a misunderstanding that the legislation that is out there protects them because it doesn't. Absolutely, 100% doesn't. But also, it's also overlain with the fact that there is this grooming situation that goes on from you know, the age of 14, 15, when they're first scouted and they're told, oh, you're beautiful, we're going to make you famous. You just need to up your followers a bit. Then they're sent Christmas cards, told to come in every now and again, um, to be weighed and measured. And so by the time a sort of teenager is 16, they're suddenly thinking they've done two years of, of this excitement, kept on the edge all the time of, of what could be a sort of a sterling career with lots of money. And probably their families and friends are also kind of like saying, you're so lucky, it's so great, you know. So they're so prepped and primed to do well. When that agent then turns around to them and says, oh, you've put on a bit of weight or, oh, I really think you need to go and see this photographer. Look, he's a bit lechy, but don't worry. Just going back to something you said, because I haven't heard this term used, but I'm curious just if you can expand on it. So you said financial abuse. That was what's unexpected. So what all is involved in financial abuse? What does that mean? So it's very interesting because uh, financial abuse is one where the model is, for example, um, paid by a brand. And then the modeling agency keeps the money um, for not just 30 days, but sometimes nine months. Then the model will run out of money and need money. So the, the, the model will say to the agency, can you please sub me? So the modeling agency then lends money, but for a 5% fee. Bearing in mind, they're already taking 40% of the model salary. And why are they holding that money, for example, for nine months? It depends. I mean, you know, sometimes it's quite legitimate. They say that the brand hasn't paid them. And in the contract, what you'll find is that it will say that you get paid 30 days after the brand has paid the modeling agency. 
Some modeling agencies are very unethical and they just hold the money anyway and they make excuses that Brian hasn't paid. And the reason they do that is because they're either in debt, they can't pay because uh, they've used the money for something else or maybe it's in a bank account, in, you know, you know, you being used for interest reasons. The other parts of the financial is that, for example, a model will be told to go to a casting, inverted commas, um, that's really just a dinner with a couple of guys. And the modeling agency would have been paid for that model to go to that dinner. So they won't get any cut of that. Or they'll suddenly be what I'll what I'll call leveling up on on a set where a model is asked to remove a piece of clothing and suddenly they find themselves semi-nude or nude. Mm. Now that photograph would have cost more, but they're not getting it, but they're getting the shot. And that image of that model is not paid for properly. Again, that's financial. So it's these kind of dis it's kind of taking advantage all the time where the cut of the model is not considered and that leads to well it's it leads to other abuses because the thing is that when you keep somebody very poor and very hungry they're more likely to put up with the other problems that go on which is the microaggression the bullying the you know sexual harassment etc cetera, etc cetera, because they're desperate for that job they need to get paid so, okay so you had these findings from the report you've worked on this in covid with this mckinsey expert and so what's come out of this work this this line of thinking around the financial piece well for me you know everything is preventative i mean it's my you know it's that that's part of being a you know a naturopath is that you want to prevent disease or dis-ease as we say in in the, the herbal medicine um, oh i love world. that and so and i and you know whereas in when i'm looking at somebody's body and i see their body in dis-ease i see that this industry is in dis-ease in other words, they are not easy. There's areas which are not are not easy and they're not easy with themselves. So how do you make that better? So one way, it, the, the biggest thing I learned from my clients is you, you can't attack them for the things that they're doing wrong if they're not aware of it. You have to go at it in a way that makes it acceptable to them. So there's something in it for them. They have to find, you know, even if you're on a diet, it's sometimes it's just not good enough to say, look, you're going to lose five pounds if you do this diet. You have to say, look, your hair's going to glow, your skin's going to glow, you're going to sleep better, you're going to have more energy, blah, blah, blah. They want to know why they need to come off the sugar and salt and stuff. So we need to make models feel that their voice is important, but it's also they can do it um, in a place which is solution driven and safe. Then we need to go to the brands and say to the brands, listen, you need to know what's happening at the end of your supply chain, because at the end of your supply chain is important. It's the face of your brand. If you get it wrong, that is, that's an insurance issue. You know, that's a, that, that's a problem for your brand. We, we buy in, we get them interested in, in knowing what's going on. And then we say to modeling agencies, hey, you know, again, Financially, if your models are walking, you know, you great modeling agencies out there because you're not doing a good job and you don't know why they're working from your agency because nobody's telling you because they're all too afraid, you know, then you're only you're going to be kept. Your business is going to be kept only at ever at a certain standard. You're never really going to be able to expand and grow. People are going to be talking about you behind your back. It's better to know what's going on. So the way we bound all of these problems together is with an anonymous survey feedback. 
So what we did was we did a lot of workshops with models and we said to them, what do you need for great representation for your modeling agency? And they said, we need, you know, good clients. We need to be treated respectfully. We need to be paid on time. We need, you know, there was a category of about eight things. And we developed surveys around this. And then we went to the modeling agencies and we said to the modeling agencies, hey, you're really ethical. You treat your models really well. Do you want to know what your models think of you, you know, anonymously? They said, yes. So we gave them the survey and we said, okay, send this out to all of your models, totally anonymous. The data comes back to us. We will build a report for you and let you know exactly what your models think of you and, you know, where there are opportunities to improve. And we'll give you that consultation and we'll give you solutions so that you can do better, you know, really, really understand what's going on. And then we went to the brands and we said to the brands, do you want to know what happens on set, you know, at your castings and at shoots? Because it's important that you have the right stylist. It's important that you have the right makeup artist if you've got all this diversity. You know, it's really important that you um, have food and water and your models aren't waiting for eight hours because, uh, by the way, you're paying them to do nothing and they're sitting there. So let us build a report for you and let us help you do better. So we built a report for them and we're now surveying, you know, casting shoots and shows. We're giving talent a voice. We're saying to talent at the end of a production, let the brands know how good they've, they've been, what's been provided, what hasn't been provided so that they can provide, provide for you better. So that's, that's incredible. Our, our I mean, solutions. Was, yeah, yeah, it sounds like it's an evaluation process, right? And that hasn't been put into place ever before. And I, I mean, I love the, the accountability and, and the opportunity to improve. I think the way you said it is really positive. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Thanks, uh, Dr. Ali, because I think that it, it is positive. I don't want this to be frightening. I want this to be, it's exactly how I treated people when I was a, when I was a master herbalist. People came to me afraid. Oh, you're going to make me change my diet. Oh, you're going to make me you know, do things I don't want to do, you know. And of course I did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sort of like, you know, I, I, you know, it's tough. Changing is really tough. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not easy. You know what? You empower people like that and they get a little bit better and suddenly they see the good in it and suddenly they, they're doing it by themselves. Suddenly they're realizing, oh my God, if I take gluten out of my diet, you know what? I function better. How great is that? And at the same time, you're saying to the brands, hey, listen, you know, we can really help you do better, save money, um, create a report for your financial reportings at the end of the year. So it's not greenwashing. You can actually tell your stakeholders and shareholders, look at this. We're doing really well. And, and here's a totally, you know, third party organization giving us this report. It's not we didn't do this internally. So it's win win. Absolutely. And, you know, all of these things you're talking about really help to build people's well-being while they're on the job. You know, I like to call them occupational hazards or risk factors. What are the risk factors in this yes. occupation to model general well-being? It's so complex, you know, Dr. Ali. There's, it's, I wish there was a really simple solution um, to all of this. And I have to say, having been 
you know, a master herbalist for 25 years and naturopath, and I've done, you know, enormous amounts of emotional healing work with people on trauma, uh, a lot of trauma. Um, I've worked with the eating disorders and addiction, all sorts. And I can tell you, um, humans are not simple creatures, <laughs> you know, and so complexity is part of who we are. However, given the right tools, we do really well. Um, but we have to be given the right tools because when you're given the wrong tools, it's very easy to go into self-harm. And unfortunately, the you know modeling industry is set up for self-harm because it's set up for rejection. But at the same time, you have to self-analyze yourself all the time on a micro level. You know, it's set up to take other people's criticism to heart all the time. Mm -hmm. So building those defenses very young is really tough, really, really tough. Um, and also, if you're an ambitious person, which I've met so many now through this podcast, and you want to succeed, the indicator of success is what you look like on the outside, not who you are as a person and what your mind is like, how you operate relationally with people, you know, your work ethic. It's, and if you, the judgment is your physical body is not good enough, in a way, of course, it will create an eating disorder or a pre preoccupation around body image and eating, right? That's one specific piece of this. That's it will. I, and I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, the upside I have to tell you on this, and, and this is where it becomes confusing, but people tend, you know, people have an idea about themselves and especially young people. So a lot of young people will think, I want to do high fashion. I want to do catwalk, but they might not be that way. They might be commercial. Okay. So they're pushing themselves into an area where they're not suited and you get people massaging their egos. So they just keep on pushing them in the wrong direction. And in fact, they would fly somewhere else. So what you get in this industry is you get a lot of mistruths. People aren't open and honest enough. I mean, you have to be really brutal, but brutal in the right way. You can say, look, you can make a lot of money, but you're in this, you know, the modeling industry is huge. It's absolutely enormous. And by the way, it morphs into influencing and acting, you know, and all sorts of things in between. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary, really. And but if you yourself have become hooked on how you see yourself and how you want to be, and you're trying to fit yourself into somewhere that is not working, you will end up damaged 100%, 100%. You know, you do have to go into the modeling industry and understand where you're best suited and where you're going to make money. Because at the end of the day, the other thing where people get this wrong is this is not about the way you look. I mean, it sounds bizarre because you've just said it is all about the way you look, but actually it's not. It is, it is your ability to um, be strong, but also, you know, take guidance and also to be a huge personality. I mean, because the best models in the world, I don't think are the, the best looking actually, as it happens, and they don't have the best figures, and they're not necessarily the tallest or whatever it might be. But they have something that is, they have a real character. And you have to show your character in this industry.
So switching gears for a second, I mean, it's clear from your work before you understand the complexity of the human experience. Um, can, can we go back? Tell us a little bit about how you became an herbalist, a naturopath, and you said you wrote a few books and, and the content of that work. And then I'd love to contrast it with what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, actually, I lived in Russia for four years. Um, and it was, you know, just after perestroika and um, they were opening up and they didn't really believe in, um, you know, med you know, antibiotics and doctors and everything. Everything was very natural and, you know, from, you know, folklore, really. And so they had a very natural way of treating people. And I had come from a family in England where my father fought in the Second World War and antibiotics were the king. I mean, mm. he had, you know, walk around rattling. He had so many, you know, medicine <laughs> bottles. And basically I was taught, you know, Elizabeth, if there isn't a pill for it, you know, then you're not ill, basically. So, um, you know, when I got sick in Russia, the first thing I did was went to my friend and I said, I'm too ill. I really need to go to the doctor and get a pill, but can you go for me? And she came back with a load of food and a bottle of vodka. And I thought, <laughs> I'm really going to die. And in fact, the vodka was to take down the temperature. And she boiled this sort of broth up for me and gave it to me. And I fell asleep. And in the morning, my fever had gone. And I wasn't completely better, but I felt so much better. And I thought, God, that was food. How did that happen? I mean, that's never happened. And then I began to dig into it a bit more. And I, I thought this actually shouldn't be lost. I mean, we should know about our food. I mean, we should know how it affects us. We should know that it can be healing and it, and it can be destructive all at the same time. Um, so I began to study, became a naturopath and I was really into herbs, became a master herbalist. I studied Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine. And part of that taught me that unless you engage the mind, you you can't really resolve the issues that are going in the body so when somebody came into my office you know I looked at their tongue read their pulse I did iridology I did kinesiology and I found out what was going on in their head before I would give them any treatment at all and a lot of the work that I did was emotional healing work um, to make the the body ailments go away um, and in fact, people could come to me and tell me their body ailments and I would know exactly what was going on in their head, and you know, pretty much. Um, so that's really, that was how I started. I And I, you know, you get to a certain level, you're asked to write books. So I wrote two books. Um, one was called Eat Yourself Young and the other one was called Cook Yourself Young. Um, and then I wrote um, First Aid Kitchen Remedy book, which was... Um, which was really everything that you have in your kitchen that could heal you, really, if you couldn't get to a doctor. So great over COVID. <laughs> yes, yes. And I will put I will put those books in our show notes for people to to take a look at them. So yeah, I mean I think it's fantastic the perspective you're coming from. Like you know, you know how to treat the mind and body from a different angle than I do, for example, although I love Eastern medicine and and now you're doing something on a more macro level. So you know, how, well, first of all, are you still an herb, herbalist, a practicing herbalist and naturopath? Or is that on pause for the moment? It's slightly on pause. I mean, I, I, I do help um, some of my patients who I, you know, used to, used to have. And 
but you know what it always it helps me with the models that i'm looking at and it helps me in certain situations so i i kind of i'm using my skills if you like in this industry although it's become very reporter you know reporting and data but one of the things we did do is we did a health conference um about a month ago it was a closed health meeting really of just healthcare professionals who really dealt with teenagers specifically in this area and um and it was really very interesting it, it uncovered uh, quite a few interesting elements we we spoke with this um French um, psychologist who worked with teenagers and one most fascinating things that I found from his research was that there is a grooming element that goes on even with the nicest agents and um, uh, basically the children because they are children age of 14 to, to 18, 19 um, and his view was you know, when are you a grown-up? Is it sort of on your first kiss? Is it when you finish school? Is it your first drink? Is it when you can drive a car? You know, is it when you first earn money? I mean, when do you actually become an adult? And it's this kind of, you know, adolescent mind that you're dealing with all the time that if you don't get right and you 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 impress on them in a in a negative way or give them tools that end up being self-destructive, it's during that time of, ad, of of adolescent that they're most most vulnerable, and of course, in the in the modelling industry, that's when they're building their careers. It's just then, and that's why this is so harmful. I mean, I was just thinking, when do you become an adult? I mean, for me, like twenties, mid twenties. That's well after the age of fourteen to nineteen, right? It takes right. a while to evolve and to understand who you are, and if you're pulled out of your home or working at the age of 14. That's just a very unusual situation and the, the right protections have to be put into place. You can't develop the character of 14 when everybody's telling you what to do and who to be and, and what you should be doing. You can't, because there's also nothing, you can't fight against it either, which is I think why sometimes the younger models or younger actors, you know, they kind of flip out at 23, 24, because they've just you know, they've been suppressed so long. Yeah, look, you've said so much, but I want to just ask you a specific question. In the work that you have been doing, whether it's um, before Models Trust or now, what are some of the achievements that you're most proud of? In my career as a, a, as a practitioner, I would say my greatest achievement somebody who went in with a brain tumor and in fact no longer had a, the tumor because they'd been with working with me for six months you know, that's a great achievement. Every time somebody got better, I felt that, you know, that there was an achievement. I was very results driven. And it's a little bit the same with this industry now. You know, I built the standards, they didn't work. So that for me was not, it's not a failure, but it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. So now with the, the reporting and data that we give, which I think is win-win and people are picking it up and they're liking it. I feel that this is an achievement for the brands, for modeling agencies, for models, that's an achievement or, or hopefully will be. I, I feel that we're at a turning point and hopefully that will be what I would call an achievement. So whether it's anecdotal or actual data, well, what are you seeing in terms of some of the changes, right? Because we're talking about culture change, behavioral change at the level of these agencies and brands. First of all, we're seeing people who are 
really wanting to see a difference. They actually want to know this isn't tick box exercise anymore. People actually do want uh, change. They're beginning to see change and they're getting less afraid of it, which is good. Um, they're also becoming much more aware of what it means to be diverse and have diversity within their structure. Um, you know, it can't be tick box. And that, again, is good. Um, and, and we're also seeing, you know, I think from the model's perspective, that they are beginning to understand that this is a career choice, you know, and the industry is beginning to understand that this is a career. This is no longer a sort of um, a, you know, being a model isn't a part-time job. Being a model is a career and it needs to be, it needs to have all of those facilities that any other career has. It needs to have the right standards. It has the right, has to have the right mechanisms at work to make it safe. Um, and you need to be paid on time and paid properly, you know. And so I think all of those elements are beginning to change. People are becoming much, much more aware. Yeah, and you said, I, I like what you said about diversity. You know, you can sure invite models of a different color on set, but then if you don't have the right makeup artists who know how to, you know, address the model's needs, that's some, there's something missing. So can you talk a little bit of more about diversity and what you're seeing in terms of the changes? Yeah, so, I mean, when we did our research, I mean, you know, a lot of the black models that we, we um, spoke to basically said that, you know, they have to go and have their hair done before coming on set, which costs them money. So they're financially already um, owing. So, you know, before they've even got on sets, they're already disadvantaged, mm -hmm. you know, before actually joining the set. You know, often they would, if they hadn't had their hair done, they'd see a white person in a chair and think, oh my God, and go, you know, run. Because they'd know that that person would not know how to deal with with textured hair. So they'd have the wrong products, they'd burn their scalp, you know, they'd ruin their hair. And, you know, what I didn't realize is that the culture, the, the hair culture in in Af African society is is really deep. I mean, it's it's yes. totally different. It's a, there's a celebration around it, which we don't have. And so when somebody really does something horrible to your hair, it's serious abuse. I mean, it's really, really horrific. You've mentioned this along the way, but what are the greatest challenges you've encountered working to make these changes in this industry? You know, the fear of speaking. Mm. It's a real problem because then everybody says, oh, well, there isn't a problem. There isn't a problem because nobody's telling us what the problem is. So, you know... Being afraid and being silent is the biggest problem that I've had because I've had to fight against people who obviously don't want, you know, to stand up and ruin their careers. And then, you know, so building data around this to show evidence of a problem has been really hard. And that's why we built this anonymous tool. So we could actually have proper research data, which could then prove there was a problem because people used to say, there's no problem. There's no problem. I mean, it's just a couple of people making trouble. So Elizabeth, I mean, given that you are a healer um, and we're talking about well-being and mental health, you know, what's your advice to models today who are struggling, you know, with being in the industry, not being able to find their voice, maybe, you know, being in a position of silence, 
being stuck? What, what, what would your advice be? I mean, it, it is, it's a, it's a big question. I mean, I think the thing is, is find a friend, you know, an honest friend, a good friend, somebody that you really love and trust. Um, because when you're in a, in a, in a place um, where you are mentally unwell, you're beating yourself up. And actually, you're in, you know, you may not be your truth, as it were, you know, you, you, you can really do yourself a lot of damage. And you need somebody who's got perspective on things to really tell you what's going on. So, so I think having a friend is really important. The other thing is, is look at the, look at your diet. I mean, and I don't mean, are you starving yourself to death? I mean, what kind of nutrition do you have for your brain? Because, you know, brain fat is really important. It's the thing that carries your messages. It's the thing that, that feeds your nervous system. It, it gives you robustness. It makes your immune system better. I mean, it's really, really important that you are having the right nutrition, as in, as in fat, protein, carbohydrate, especially if you're working at a, a, a very intense level. So, I mean, I think, you know, be, try the small things first. If you're finding it difficult to get out of bed, do one thing that's good for you. You know, just um, try and say one positive thing or be grateful for one thing that you have in your life you know, and really, really believe it, you know, before you start attacking again, just hook onto something real uh, that's positive because that can really help. Yeah. And I guess what I was thinking as you're speaking, I mean, in the absence of a systematic safety net and structure around this type of employment, I mean, what you're saying is like lean on who you can lean on, right? The informal connections, therapists, doctors, loved ones. I mean, that is so important. Social support goes a long way. And then of course, what you put in your body, how you treat your body. Um, I think that's so important. So, you know, and what I wanted to ask you is with the work you're doing from your vantage point now, what's your vision of the work you want to achieve with Models Trust down the road, let's say five, 10 years? You know, I want I want it to be a safe world for everybody. I want these are very skilled people. Models are very, very skilled human beings. And I want there to be respect around that. You know, I would like there to be a fact that, you know, the shoot, the show and the casting is the model's place of work. And they are working individuals who are being paid for a job and people earn a lot of money from their faces and their bodies. And they need to be treated properly and paid properly. And the model needs to understand their job better. You know, they need to know what it is to be a brand, self-brand, you know, what it is to be paid, how to keep in touch with your payments, you know, you know, how to make the best of yourself, you know, how to keep your mental health, how to keep your physical health, but also how to build your brand and be the best that you can be, you know, from yourself, because it's a job. It's a, it's a job. It's the way you earn money. And that's and that's it. And I'd like there to be a realization around that. And then secondly, I would like the 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 anonymous feedbacks to be standard everywhere, you know, on set, on castings, at shows. You know, I'd like it to be, you know, on film productions, any production that is out there. I would like there to be an anonymous feedback so it becomes absolutely normal 
to fill in these reports so that we can keep up the data and that people have a voice, an anonymous voice at the moment. But they can make it real if they wanted to. But, you know, if they want to say something that they can, I'd like that to be standard to keep everybody safe. So final question that we ask all of our guests, if you had 50 million Instagram followers, what would you want to tell people about the importance of mental health, well-being and healing? Well, the importance of mental health is that it is all in the mind now. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny, but it is all in your head. I mean, a lot of these things, you know, if the sharp, the, the biggest time of realization comes when I do emotional freedom technique on people and they've been feeling phobia, let's say, about spiders or public speaking. And within 20 minutes of me doing tapping on them, they are no longer afraid. Now, the world hasn't changed. Nothing is different. The only thing that has changed is your perspective in your head. And your head can drive you to bad things, but it can drive you to the most amazing things too. It's about getting it right. You have to get it right in your head. And even when you're feeling the worst, worst, worst possible, you can turn it around in your head so that you don't feel, you don't feel like that. You know, the bad thing can exist, but it do, you, it do, you don't have to be brought down by it just be really, really, really aware of what is real in your head and how you're responding to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I like to say fact or fear. Are you, you know, are the thoughts out of fear or is it, is there evidence for the thoughts or are you using the thought as a conclusion? I mean, I, yes, that we could get, we could have a whole nother episode on this. You could, um, I mean, you know, I was always told, you know, fear is a bad advisor. And, and I think that's just a really simple way of saying every time you're fearful, really think to yourself, am I really afraid? You know, what am I actually afraid of? What, it, what is actually, what is it? Because if it's just nothing, really, because it hasn't happened yet. or Exactly. Or what's the worst that could happen right. if your worst fears are realized? Right. So fear is powerful. And but but I love your I love what you said. Thank and, uh, you. It's a bad advisor. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for speaking with me. I so appreciate hearing the work that you're doing. It's inspiring. I know you're a change agent. You're trying to heal on a different, you know, macro level. And I think it's really wonderful what, what you're doing. Thank you. It's been lovely being interviewed by you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's been great. Really lovely. Now, let's get clinical. Today, I want to focus briefly on something called social determinants of mental health. It's a concept that refers to all of the things in our life that impact our mental health and overall well-being, that determine how we feel and how we function. So think, for example, livelihood or what you do every day, relationships in your life, housing, healthcare, friendships, support, family, and so much more. All of these impact our mental health. And you hear in the podcast that Elizabeth is a naturopath, a master herbalist, and a therapist who in 2019 was invited by the British Fashion Council to create a healthy diet for models. And during the research that she undertook, she realized that models have a whole host of workplace risks that endanger physical health and emotional and financial well-being. And what I love about what Elizabeth and her team at Models Trust are doing 
is that they are working on those very things, social determinants, that affect the mental health of models in the fashion industry, such as making the workplace a safer environment, creating safety on set, improving working conditions for models who sometimes are disproportionately young compared to the rest of the workforce, making sure models get paid and are afforded labor rights and protections that we have in all other industries. And she's creating standards and accountability for both agencies and brands so that things improve and from a place of making a positive change. All of what she's doing will affect in a positive way the mental health and well-being of those working in this industry. I can't emphasize enough that I'm honored to speak with Elizabeth, that as a healer, a naturopath, herbalist, and now CEO of Models Trust, she's a true champion for this industry. I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. Thank you for listening to Model Mentality. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.